0: Biology. 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 Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. Today is the start of a new segment called Long Read Sundays, and this is where I choose an article or someone sends an article in. And I simply read it out. I may paraphrase certain sections. I might uh, tell you how it links in. But overall, I'm hoping that this gives you a little bit extra in your HSC and something more relevant that you can tie that knowledge to. So without further ado, let's get into today's topic. This one was sent in by Georgia on Facebook. So thank you so much, Georgia, for sending this through. It certainly is very interesting. The title itself is How the placenta evolved from an ancient virus. All right, let's get into it. So the start of the story, it's about a woman who basically wants to know what happens to the placenta and really what it is. Um, And so... She starts the story off by describing an experience in a hospital where she saw something removed from the uterus at the end of pregnancy and wasn't really sure what it was, and that is what we call the placenta. And so she describes the placenta in a pretty funny way to begin with, um, but then it gets into how it relates directly to potentially a virus. So let's get into that. So... The way she describes it, she says it's like an alien meat cake, a purple alien meat cake. It looks like it should be pulsating because it looks like it landed here from another planet. If you picture a baby in the womb, it's sitting in a thin sack filled with amniotic fluid. The sack is made by the baby. One part of it thickens and basically attaches to the womb. The thicker part is the placenta. For whatever reason, the placenta, whose delivery Coolahan observed, needed some further inspection in the pathology lab. Most people would have followed the baby, but she decided to follow the placenta. That's where she met Julieta Barrowetta, who specializes in gynecological pathology at Cooper University Hospital. That's where I started to realize the placenta was even more interesting than it looked, Coolahan said. First, it's only a temporary organ. Second, it's the baby's lung. It's a waste disposal system, and it's a nutritional source. For the placenta to do all that amazing stuff, it has to do something no other tissue can do. The placenta is essentially a fascinating organ because it allows for two human beings that are genetically very different because half the fetus is maternal, but the other half is paternal. And yet the pregnancy can go on for nine months without the mum's body destroying it, Barrowetta said. And that, from an immune standpoint, is fascinating because if you were to receive a piece of someone else and insert that under your skin, that would not last there for three days. Your body will actively reject it. So the placenta has to be the most incredible gatekeeper. It has to let oxygen and nutrients get to the baby. It has to let carbon dioxide and waste get out. For example, medicines can get through, protective antibodies can get through, but if the mother and the baby ever actually touched, or if any blood got through, the mother's immune system would immediately kill the baby. Coolahan kept researching. She stumbled across a paper by Ed Chung, who researches molecular cellular developmental biology at BioFrontiers Institute in Colorado. According to Chung, the placenta we think of as a defining characteristic of live-bearing mammals, primates, rodents, dogs, cats, etc., is estimated to have evolved around 150 million to 200 million years ago. Before that, if you wanted to reproduce, you had to lay eggs. So before placentas, a baby had to be in an eggshell, literally walled off. All the nutrients baby needed had to be already in the egg from the get-go. If you think about a chicken egg, that's exactly what the yolk is. It's a care package that has to last the embryo till it's born. Chong added, The evolution of placenta essentially involves losing that eggshell and instead replacing that with some sort of tissue or organ that attaches to the mother's uterus during development. But losing that shell presents some challenges. It's important that the maternal and fetal blood streams remain separate, Chong said. And so the separation of these blood streams is established through this cell layer called, and forgive me for saying this wrong, the syncytiotrophoblast. Now, the syncytiotrophoblast is the outermost layer of the placenta, the part that is pressed against the uterus. It's literally a layer of cells that have fused together, forming a wall. This is where the magic happens, Coolahan said. This wall of cells keeps mums and baby working in harmony and not killing each other. There's no other structure like this anywhere else in the body. When evolutionary biologists like Chong mapped the genomes of these cells, they found that the protein that allowed these cells to fuse into a wall, called synctin, didn't look like it came from human DNA. It looked more like HIV. According to Chong, this protein actually came from an ancient retrovirus, the most famous of which is HIV. Viruses are little strips of biological information that can't do anything on their own. So they enter cells and hijack the cell's machinery to make copies of themselves and replicate and move on to infect other cells. Retroviruses take it to the next level because they are strips of DNA that enter the cells and just go ahead and insert themselves into the host's DNA. Now the host is stuck with viral DNA for the rest of its life and it can never stop doing what the virus wants. Viruses such as HIV have been infecting vertebrates for probably a couple hundred million years, according to Chong. So according to evolutionary biologists, once upon a time, some retrovirus infected an egg-laying vertebrate. And by chance, that virus settled into that animal's egg cells. And it just so happened that that particular infected egg met a nice sperm and got fertilized. The baby that was hatched, whatever kind of proto-mammal it was, now had copies of that virus's DNA in all its cells. The virus didn't kill the baby. If it had, we wouldn't be sitting here as humans telling the story. What it did was give this offspring a premium feature. We got an upgrade, Coulahan said. Viruses fuse with things in order to infect them. Now we get this viral DNA that lets us make proteins that fuses things. Once a viral protein, the virus essentially morphed or evolved into what we now call synctin. This protein gives the baby the ability to fuse cells into a wall, the placenta, that connects mom and baby, but also keeps them separate. This virus helped that mammalian ancestor survive better by giving it a better placenta. Then this piece of DNA would have been passed on to the next generation and eventually spread into the population, Chong said. And this process we think of as molecular domestication of an ancient retrovirus element. And this retroviral element continues to be important for placental development in modern humans. It's worth noting this probably didn't happen overnight. This was a key step, but it probably took many more generations worth of mutations. But it's more than placentas. Biologists have found huge chunks of our DNA that are actually remnants of ancient viral infections. Looks like we've been domesticating viruses for a long time. Or have viruses been domesticating us? Either way, what all that DNA is doing for us, for the most part, is still a mystery. Just seems like, in a way, we're part virus. Otherwise, we'd be laying eggs. So pretty amazing article, lots of information there and crossovers with the syllabus. We could start at the placenta's importance in developing the baby and all those cells that are involved in maintaining that um, nutrition and the uh, removal of wastes. We can talk about how viruses are able to manipulate our own DNA um, using their DNA and putting it into our, um, our segments of DNA, which is pretty incredible, retroviruses where they can be passed on for many generations. We can look at how retroviruses can affect somatic versus germline cells as well. So in the story, they talked about one of those cells being affected was an egg cell, which then got with the sperm cell and so on and so forth. Now, if it wasn't an egg cell, it would have died with the individual, as a somatic mutation does. But because it occurred in the germline cell, it was then passed on. So a really awesome link there. We can also talk about the role of coding versus non-coding DNA here, and how much of our DNA really is made up of maybe alternate virus DNA. Something that's certainly very interesting to think that, uh, you know, we evolved together with these viruses, and that's usually how I describe it to my students when they ask what the purpose of a virus is or why does it exist, it's all part of this human system. Well, I shouldn't say human system. It's all part of this living system. We developed with viruses at the same time. They are integral into increasing variation within our species. And so without viruses, we don't have that you know, random mutation that causes those synced in proteins to be formed. And so... It's all a part of the same system. And when you think about all of that together, it's all interlinked. We're all just part of this living system and the viruses just make up one small part of it and so do we. And we all come together at some point because we all share the same stuff, the same DNA. So I hope that was interesting, guys, and um, hopefully I can do this again next week. If you enjoyed it, please uh, let me know on the Facebook page or you can uh, leave a comment on the uh, iTunes, Spotify or um, Podbean website. Thanks again, guys. I'll catch you again soon.